clubhouse. Welcome back to another Love It or Leave It. This is Paul. This is Sheila. And today we're going to talk about Peacock's original programming. This is their first original in a while. I guess they did Girls 5 Eva, uh, but uh, they've been a little lean on the on the original programming since they first uh, <laughs> dropped last year. This one was called Dr. Death, and it was you that, that told me to look out for it. I, I didn't have it on my radar. How did you come about finding it? Actually, when I, we did the Girls 5 Eva, Love It or Leave It, so in one of my rewatchings and prepping for that podcast, um, I saw like this trailer coming attraction for Dr. Death. I work in the healthcare field. I like true crime. Um, it was a, a nice confluence of events for me. So I saw the trailer. I saw who was in it. I was like, okay, you got Christian Slater, you've got Alec Baldwin, and you have Joshua Jackson as the lead in this like baby faced killer kind of a thriller for me. Um, so yeah, it ticked a lot of right boxes for me. So I was like, definitely it's the, the tagline of it is just enough to, to, you know, sway me into it. And then when you had just these powerhouses in there, I was just like, okay, for eight episodes, I can, I can expend the energy and I pay for Peacock. So I'm always out on the lookout for getting value for my money. So right out of all the services, that one, like when you start to dig a little bit, I've noticed for my own tastes that say, say you start scrolling to the right, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> hypothetically, if you were <laughs> right on a given topic, whether it's action movies or uh, comedy TV shows or whatever, that first screen is going to be, Oh, I know that. I know that. I know that too. And, but then once yeah. you get past like the first screen and a half, it starts to be like, huh? It's pretty obscure yeah. stuff. This, yeah. looks, this looks like if there was such a thing as straight to video, this would have been straight to video. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like they have the big heavy hitters, like the office when you, you know, log in and, you know, they have the Olympics, the banner and yeah, but uh, Yellowstone, I guess that's another big one that they have. Yeah. But yeah, when you start scrolling past, it's like, okay. <laughs> but this is different. This one does have heavy hitters. This does have like top TV and movie talent in it. It is based on a true story that happened in my home state. I know. Texas. What do you got going on in Texas down there? Yeah. Bad business. But I would bet that the don't talk about inside baseball attitude is well beyond uh, the Texas borders. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't think this is unique to Texas. I think it was just unfortunate that this happened in Texas. But I feel like we can talk about this later. But I feel like the circumstances with which happened here could have happened anywhere else easily. So if you're not familiar with our format, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the show, all the show, basically, and all very general terms and give our verdict about whether or not we would recommend this show to you or your loved ones because we wouldn't want to give your loved ones bad advice. (laughs) But then since we have a lot to talk about that's a little more in depth than that, we're going to warn you and say that we're going to start talking about spoilers and then we're going to start dishing on what we liked, what we didn't like in very much more specific terms than we did in the first half the recommendation half cool with yeah, that maybe, maybe some graphic detail <laughs> maybe some graphic detail yes 
what makes this a little different than other uh, Leolis or Love It or Leave It's is that this is based on a true story. So you could just go and look up Christopher Dunch and get the basic story where he is now, the climax (laughs) of the whole thing, if you wanted. What's interesting here, what makes it worth uh, discussing is, of course, the telling. Yes. As a basic overview, this is well beyond medical malpractice, right, Sheila? Lines were crossed, boundaries were stepped over, leapt over, if you will. Definitely not just a a run-of-the-mill medical malpractice. This was intentional. Yeah, there's that element of what they were able to prove in court Mm -hmm. uh let's leave that discussion for later let's leave that for the spoiler (laughs) part because yeah i've got i've got opinions about that too (laughs) but yeah yeah this this is about a doctor who had several operations go wrong in such a way that other doctors when they went to follow up on his work wondered what is going on here I, I think that's all public information. <laughs> that, that... Yeah, I, you know, like this is kind of a weird thing, Paul, because this is a true story. It was in the news. There was this very famous podcast um, done by Wondery back in, I think it was like 2018. This was on my radar. I'd heard most of the podcast and then I I kind of knew the story. Okay. So I didn't kind of stick it out to the end. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not... I don't know how much we have to dance around because like the trailer even shows <laughs> shows a, a fair amount of what happens in the uh, in the series. Well, let's mention who whose big idea this was. This is Patrick McManus. He was the listed as the creator of the show. I am not overly familiar with Patrick's work. It looks like he came from acting originally and then got yes. into writing and producing shows but i'm a, but i except for homecoming i haven't seen his shows oh i saw happy on sci-fi that was tragically short-lived with chris maloney was it good it was good it was, it was very oddball <laughs> kind of nothing like this in the way that this like the, the premise and the storytelling is done maybe just like the disjointed timeline but um yeah i i mean i didn't really watch homecoming i think i caught a few episodes of it but happy i really liked I saw the first season of Homecoming, and I liked it, but it seemed finished at that point. So uh, it's not that I won't watch the next season of Homecoming, which is the one that he's listed as a producer for. Um, Okay. It's just, I don't know. I saw the Julia Roberts half, and I was happy with that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, you're right. He has Marco Polo, which is, uh, you know, a period drama, happy, uh, a science fiction kind of fantastical genre show with, with uh, some sort of creature in that or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like his, uh, like, creature that appears. It's almost like his conscience, but not really. It's like it just appears to him in times of trouble. And then Homecoming is like a, almost like a political thriller, but slower paced. And yeah, Doctor <sighs> Death is uh, almost a biopic, kind of. Yeah. It's a diverse grouping from McManus on his uh, resume. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, the the main actors are Joshua Jackson, who everyone our age knows as... Pacey, Pacey. from Dawson's Creek. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. He'll never not be Pacey for us, I'm afraid. Right. This is psychopath Pacey in this, <laughs> this time out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
You know, I've seen Joshua Jackson in a few different things, and I can't help but think that he is a charismatic guy, and he's got the right looks, and he's tall and all that all that stuff. But a lot of times I still feel like I know that I'm watching an actor. Like he, for you, it does, he doesn't like embody the character? Well, a lot of his delivery doesn't vary. I guess that's what makes him sort of leading man material is, is that it's always, you know, versions of Josh rather than a fully, you know, like... Like you, immersed experience. Right. When you see... Um, this, uh, this is totally unfair comparison. But when you see like Gary Oldman take on a character... Right. Oh, he's like a chameleon. <laughs> right. It's like, who? who, who? Gary Oldman was, he played Winston Churchill. What are you talking about? You know, because right. he makes such a transformation. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I, I understand that. Yeah. He doesn't really you know what you said makes sense. Like he doesn't really vary in his or the scope of character doesn't really. Yeah. Well, uh, he's got, he's got a spectrum and he doesn't really. And, and they're, and they're usually strong headed or what is that the right word? Strong minded, uh, like uh, Peter Willful. Bishop. Yes, yeah. from Fringe was uh, mm-hmm. was that way. Pacey, I mean, uh, didn't he not live at home? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so strong willed. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe I'm just scrolling through his like IMDb sort of uh, resume here. Uh, Pacey Con, that's pretty funny. That is funny. <laughs> Oh, he was in When They See Us. That's right. Was he? Yeah, he was Mickey Joseph. It's funny. Like, the least actory thing that I think that I've seen him in might have been when he played himself in Ocean's Eleven, which would be a funny kind of meta reference, right? (laughs) Do you remember that scene? Oh, I've seen Ocean's Eleven, like, I don't know how many times. There's there's the scene where Brad Pitt is being paid to teach young actors how to look like they know how to play poker. Yes, that was him. Yeah, he's in that scene. Oh my god! Oh, that's really funny. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't make the connection that that was him. <laughs> I bet he is a cool guy to know, and I'm not trashing him or his work. I'm I'm just saying everything feels a little little like Pacey when Pacey comes to play. Um, yeah, even this. I'll, guy I'll agree with that. Yeah, he doesn't really have much of a range, I guess. I mean, this guy is not a nice guy. There are certain scenes that really make you wonder, like how he got as far as he did if the real person acted the way he was portrayed here. There's a a time jumping element to this show that you have to kind of go by the physical condition of Chris Dunch. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yes. In order to like know where you're at on the timeline. Yes. Yes. They de-age him and then they up-age him some, mostly with prosthetics prosthetics to, to make him have gained some amount of weight and then kind of a lot of weight much later. Yeah. And that kind of gives you an idea where he's at. And the, the younger ones, though, uh, man, that was some, I don't know if that was good makeup or good digital effects, but he looked like he did on Dawson's Creek. Yeah, uh, in like 97. Yeah. yeah. That was pretty nuts. <laughs> So it's like the the duo of Alec Baldwin and Christian Slater. So I'll take Christian Slater um, just as the first, only because you needed these two and you also didn't need these two. 
um, in the sense, like you didn't need them in the sense that they, they came off as very capery, that they were, you know, playing off each other, like this good cop, bad cop thing. But the Christian Slater's character is for me, this is like what I remember Christian Slater as in like Heather's, like there was not a lot of deviation (laughs) from, um, from the Christian Slater of old, like this bad boy, you know, when he was, um, the true romance guy. The true romance guy where he's giving the, as Dr. Kirby here, Dr. Randall Kirby, he's a, a, a access surgeon at uh, these big medical centers. And, and he was talking about like racing his Jaguar down the boulevard and the cop was chasing him almost into the OR as this aortic aneurysm was spurting. I know a lot of surgeons and there are certain traits that were resonant in his delivery that I've seen in surgeons. Like you, you need someone who's very self-assured. You need someone who's very much of a take charge kind of a situation person that you feel confident that this person's going to cut you open, remove the thing that's offending you and put you back together whole. (laughs) Um, So there's, there's a lot to that level of personality that worked for me as a general surgeon, as as someone who has to kind of like, you know, take the body and like figure out what's wrong and go fix it. Whereas like a neurosurgeon knows exactly where their problem is and they have to just go there. Whereas a a general surgeon, you know, not to dismiss any specialty or anything like that, but general surgeons have to kind of like know everything from top to bottom. He was, I would say, a joy to watch in this. If He might even win some stuff because... Maybe uh, because it was just so nostalgic, his performance, not to say that he was like revisiting an old character exactly, but he was very much tapping into what made him so popular after Heather's that I can do whatever I want kind of attitude (laughs) that he exuded. Right. Your rules be damned. Yeah. In those early 90s movies he was in, uh, he had quite a run there in the 90s. He had Heathers, Gleaming the Cube, people know as a skateboard movie, it, but I don't know that it was very popular at the time. Uh, he was in Young Guns 2, which was huge when it came out. He's due to be in Young Guns 3. I don't know how. He was in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Which I probably saw like 12 times in the movie theater. <laughs> that was a huge movie, right? True Romance, um, which is kind of a a legendary movie of the era that Quentin Tarantino wrote, but did not direct has some amazing scenes in it, uh, with Christopher Walken (laughs) and, uh, Dennis Hopper in particular, that scene. Yeah. Very like iconic moments from the nineties from like some of those movies. And he, it's not that he ever went away. The profile wasn't as high. That's fair to say. And this is very much that same guy that people my age look at and be like, I remember that guy. I mean, <laughs> we're we're just like a couple of weeks off well, as we're recording this from that, that weird Chris Evans tweet about <laughs> Christian Slater. Do you, do you know about that? No. He... I've been living under a rock for half of this month, so. (laughs) He said something like if he went back in a, I'm going to get it wrong, but the gist of it is that if he went went into a time machine, came out in like 1990 and saw Christian Slater, he would guess that his name was Christian Slater. And he put that in a tweet. And (laughs) (laughs) What is that supposed to mean? (laughs) I guess he's just, there's just no other way to refer to Christian Slater. Other than as Christian Slater. Yeah. Yeah. Just that's fair. Yeah. I mean, can anyone argue with that? The logic is sound. I'm, I'm there. 
Well, and this character, every time he was on screen, you're right, there was sort of a caper aspect because he was kind of the the bad cop to Alec Baldwin's character, given that his that Slater's character, Dr. Randall Slater Kirby. Slater is, yeah, Randall Kirby, yeah. I think he had a mouth filter. It's just it was never used, or at least infrequently used. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he knew better, but had done away with caring a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, also like the nature of their position and their role brings out this brashness too. Like it's almost like one feeds the other. Alec Baldwin's character had that same thing, Dr. Robert Henderson, but he exuded it in a completely different way. He had that kind of level of confidence, but it also came with a, a much higher position that an older, more experienced surgeon uh, would bring. And that is what what his role was here, is, is someone who wound up involved trying to repair one of Dunch's surgeries gone wrong. And he took an interest at that point trying to figure out just where his hospital had gone wrong getting involved with this doctor. Now, Alec Baldwin, for me, man... He goes back a long way, but I gotta. I I go. He, my my first Alec Baldwin has got to be the original Jack Ryan. What about you? Oh yeah, definitely Hunt for the Red October. Or is it Beetlejuice? It's got to be Beetlejuice. <sighs> when I think of Alec Baldwin, yeah, Hunt for the Red October came up first, and then Beetlejuice is very formative. Lately, it's been Boss Baby. <laughs> Boss Baby, yeah. <laughs> He's the voice of uh, Ted. Um, I have an eight-year-old, so we watch these things. Um, I also loved him in The Departed. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays, you know, like the... Well, one of the captains, right? One of the captains, yeah. So he's not the Martin... He's not in the undercover unit. He's in, like, the Stadies, right? So he's he's over, like, Matt Damon's group and, and calling the shots there. And just the, the interplay between Alec Baldwin and especially Mark Wahlberg in that movie just... I'm the guy like, doing I'll his just, job. He must be the other guy. Yeah. Oh, and there's this whole back and forth about, you know, couldn't do it because I was, you know, screwing your mother. And it's, it goes on for minutes and it's just, it's wonderful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if, if you haven't heard of a movie called, or a play called Glengarry Glen Ross, go look it up. The entirety of Alec Baldwin's scene is maybe five, ten minutes, something like that. But he delivers a very iconic piece of dialogue that just whittles these this room full of salesmen down into just nothing uh and it is amazing to to watch (laughs) have you seen this i've seen the movie yeah then listeners just just go do it you don't need to watch the whole movie it'll it's a downer but (laughs) but that's (laughs) yeah yeah. but just find on youtube i'm sure someone has snipped it on youtube i'm sure i'm sure Uh, oh my god i'm going back into his IMDb malice. I forgot that he was that maniacal doctor. Wasn't that the one where he's he was he gave the speech about whenever you pray to God before a surgery, you're actually yeah, praying, you're to, praying me. to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, maybe maybe he brought some of that, you know, Jed from Malice, you know, into into this role. Maybe he's the uh the watered down version. <laughs> right. The been there, done that. Yeah. Right. You know, I've got the thirty years now behind me. And he continues. I mean, he is um, he's going to be in that John DeLorean documentary as John DeLorean. He's going to be in a oh, show. Oh, that's cool. Another thing called Lamborghini, and he's going to be Enzo Ferrari. That's crazy. That's uh, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, so he's just a, 
a machine. But in this, he is restrained. He is yes, stoic. That was yes. the the word that I wrote next to his character. <laughs> right. I mean, if you were picking a surgeon, you might pick him just because he he just exudes a. I've done this 10,000 times kind of confidence that doesn't need to come through in the form of that brash overstating of, of one's qualifications. It just, he just looks like he could do it. Right. He just plays the part. He's there in his, his lab coat with his stitched name on the lapel. He just exudes that role. There's like the, the chair of neurosurgery at Baylor Plano. Was that what it was? I think that is. Or, right. oh, he was at Dallas Medical Center. Um, yeah, he just looks the part. He's, he's got enough salt and pepper to soothe the calming of the nerves. But I, I liked the playoff between Alec Baldwin's character and Christian Slater's character because it was almost like you needed one to balance out the other. Like you needed Christian Slater's character, you needed Dr. Kirby to draw out the humor that Dr. Henderson had inside of him. There was a couple of cute little jokes that they made at each other's expense. There was a, there was a thing about like uh, um, Dr. Henderson wanted to go get like the early bird special. And there was this playoff between the two of them, you know, talking about, you know, Christian Slater's character saying that, you know, we can go get the ARP discount. And it was just, it was just a cute little, and I appreciated those moments because like in retrospect of thinking about the series as a whole, it did bring a bit of levity to this very heavy topic. Very much. And I think there are several other characters and, and actors to that we could talk about. Uh, even like we're not even really talking about like Kelsey Grammer's in this thing and he's not even that important. He, I mean, he, he plays a, a formative character in Dr. Dunch's life, but he's just not big in the show. Um, right. And there's a few other familiar faces that maybe we can hit later, but let's keep moving. Um, this is mostly set in Texas. There is, uh, and hospitals and doctor's office. There are some moments that go back to Tennessee where Dr. The former Dr. Dunch got his medical training from the university of Tennessee, but stylistically, like I mentioned a minute ago, there's a lot of time jumping which may lose some people uh it lost me a couple of times because it felt at times that we already had certain information and and i'm sure that's not the case but it's more like maybe i just assumed that we were going to get there but then they showed us getting there or something you were able to like string it together without being shown it yeah and that's a criticism that I've seen of this is is that it it felt maybe two episodes too long. Yeah, I could agree with that. The time jumping did get me. I, and after I think it was like halfway through the second episode, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to forget where we are and just pay attention to the story and like really not pay attention to the timeline because I didn't understand the time jumps. At the end, I mean, they do show you how it all resolves, but I, I guess I'm a very linear thinker, so I would kind of want to understand why things are doing the things that they're doing. But it did all come together in the end. But yeah, there, there's pieces that could have been cut out. I would say like his partying, like I think we I think we understood that he was a reckless personality and we didn't maybe need to see all of, you know, so much of that. But then there were these weird, you mentioned levity, but you went, there were these weird vignettes that happened kind of occasionally and not really with a pattern. And if you're not watching this like week to week and you're just watching it as a binge, they really stand out as like, what? <laughs> like, like the moment when they introduce Kim, mm-hmm. the, the PA. Yeah. Uh, that is a very like stylistically different 
moment. Like the music is different and what they do with the sound is different. And she even doesn't really act like a normal person or like how she acts for the rest of the show. You know, like getting out of the car and just walking into the interview without being really dressed or anything for an interview. Did any any moment like that um, stand out to you as like distracting or bad or was it like, well, you know, every every so often a little change up doesn't hurt? Yeah, there was a there was a couple. I'm not really grasping at one now, but there was a couple of times I was just like, OK, that shifted oddly. And I okay. wasn't sure if it was the timeline jumping again. And like I said, I just stopped paying attention to the timeline. I just said, all right, let me just go go with the story. But yeah, like that moment was jarring because it just it was set differently and it looked different like i think maybe the camera angles were different because a lot of this was shot very close so this was kind of a, a different kind of view to that i guess another element that would help you determine your place in time and this is part of what actually confused me rather than served as a mile marker was which of his patients were alive or which of them were dead and had you already found out about those alive or dead prior to that there was certain ones that was like i thought we already saw her on the table. What like, didn't that person? Like, didn't that person already die? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those yeah. were some of those jarring moments. They, so, yeah, that that you just shook that loose because one of them, I think, it was Dorothy Burke. We get told at one point, "Is that wait? Is that a spoiler?" That, that's legal fact. At this point. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's 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 go get your foil, people. You know, <laughs> file your foil acts. But yeah, at one point, like. Her, like, we'd seen her go and we saw, like, you know, because he was already in the next surgery and he kept talking about the prior patient, Miss Burke, and he was very hung up on that. And then she appeared later on and she was filling out paperwork. I'm like, okay, that's that timeline thing. Okay, fine. It's really my only criticism about how they told the story. But like I said, it does come together in the end and they do show sort of like that those train of events. But I don't know. Did we need all of that? (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah and some of it just felt like twisting the knife a little bit i well mm, we can talk about that too uh the the literal twisting of the knife but like i felt college it ran long like the, the scenes about college i felt like ran long i watched the series twice so in watching it the second time i was like i needed to get out of that a little bit more as to why he became who he became like it didn't tell me the story that I wanted it to tell. And, and maybe that's me just being selfish or, or me being, you know, not an advanced TV watcher, but like, I, <laughs> I, I like me a good origin story. And I felt like that was lacking. Okay. Like they went all the way back in time to show us like, you know, him as a teenager and him in college. And I didn't get like the juicy nuggets that set him on the path that where he got to. Does that make sense? It does. And I'd like to bring it up in the in more detail in a minute before we render the verdict i'd like to mention that all eight episodes were directed by women oh they were yes huh there were good for you peacock good for you patrick mcmanus yep four from a woman named so young kim who mm-hmm. looks like she may have started in china but has moved to American TV, for the most part, of all different kinds. The Good Fight, Vita, Get Shorty, A New Amsterdam, Good Girls, Room 104, the anthology series on HBO, and Dr. Death. So she has kind of a long resume that started only maybe five years ago here in the States, but it's been very active since then. 
Wow. And pretty high profile stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then a woman named Maggie Kylie did a couple episodes and she has a similar kind of thing where she did an episode of Night Flyers, Riverdale, Impulse. That was one on uh, YouTube, Dirty John. Um, and oh, Dr. well, Death. Dirty John is the forerunner to Dr. Death in the podcast world. Oh, okay. Dirty John came before Dr. Death and it was produced by the same group, Wondery. That makes sense. So, though. yeah. So that, that was kind of where they got the template for like the true crime podcast as infotainment, mm-hmm. basically taking a true story and making it into a thriller. And the last director is actually much better known as an actor. She is Jennifer Morrison. Oh. Most people know as Emma Swan from Once Upon a Time or Dr. Allison Cameron on House. Yes. That is watched nightly in my house. (laughs) Or Captain Kirk's mom from the new Star Trek movies. (laughs) Or she's on This Is Us, but uh, she doesn't look much like her. Um, normally not very, doesn't play a particularly glamorous character on, on, on This Is Us. <laughs> but yeah, she is moving, I think, more behind the camera as much as she can now. She did an episode of Euphoria and uh, that Dr. Death, and then she looks like she's working on a pilot. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned Night Flyers by Maggie, what was her last name? Uh, Maggie Kylie. That was actually a really excellent series. I think that was on like AMC or something like that. I think a it was sci-fi. Ago. It was a George sci-fi, I think Martin. it Yes, yes. I think you're right. It was sci-fi. And it was just, it was so good. I really enjoyed that. So if you haven't watched that and you're looking for something to watch, go watch that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, verdict time before we move into the spoilerific section. Mm-hmm. What say you, Sheila? Do you love it or leave it? So despite the criticisms that we've levied so far on this series, I do think this is definitely a love it. I think this is worth watching and streaming. The character lineup that we've talked about, we haven't even talked about, you know, who else is in the series, is compelling enough for me to sit down and watch. And the fact that it's a true story makes it so much worse in the sense that, like, you just have to see this through to completion. But overall, I think this was really well done, um, you know, like the timeline aside. I really enjoyed the the way these actors gelled together. I liked this hunt, this investigation to to prove that this man deserves to, to go down for his crimes and, and to you know, the groundbreaking aspect that this case had in taking down a doctor. So I definitely think this is something to check out. It's it's not something that we've kind of seen, really. I don't think, I, I can't remember seeing anything that had like sort of this medical drama crime aspect to it. So I, I was definitely, this like I said earlier, that this hit on a lot of buttons for me that were compelling were interesting and the the show did pay off for me i definitely watched the like the second time with less of a critical eye and just enjoying the story and i think if you just enjoy the story and don't worry about the timeline so much it's a lot easier to digest just pay attention to joshua jackson's face (laughs) yeah i think i would also uh say love it in that i would find myself recommending this show to most people if i knew about a person that they already had trust issues with the medical community? I probably wouldn't. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a fair assessment. But most people are, are interested in tr- true events. They're interested in kind of, it's not a who 
done it. It's not really a mystery to this, but there is sort of like a will they or won't they element. Yeah, there is a there's a mysterious component to this. Yeah. And that that makes for a, a compelling story that is very watchable. Uh, and we mentioned the acting. I bet it generates at least a nomination, maybe two for Baldwin and Slater. Uh, yeah. So I, I would also love it. Now, if you don't want to get spoiled, you spoiled. That's a thing. If you don't <laughs> we just want, made up a word. We're going with it. <laughs> if you don't want to get spoiled, then you should turn off the podcast and, you know, move on to the next offering from Pod Clubhouse. If you would like to listen to our more in-depth conversation, we are going to be dropping the spoilers like bombs, yo. Like uh, laminectomies or distectomies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to be putting screws in your muscle. And... Yeah, we're going to be leaving sponges <laughs> in your neck. All the bad stuff. <laughs> okay, so what stands out to you, Sheila, is like, I got to talk about this right now. You know, this is not actually a spoilery thing, but it's more in the acting realm. So it's not really spoilery. It could have been in the first half, but it didn't have like a nice little niche. Jamie Dornan was actually tapped to play Dr. Dunch initially. Mm, yeah. Uh, what, Mr. Gray? From, Mr. Uh, yeah, Mr. Christian Gray, right? Yeah. From the Fifty Shades series. And while he has maybe that baby-faced look that... Joshua Jackson, and I mean, I, I had to, I had to go look up this Dr. Dunch dude back in his heyday had like this baby face. So I like the fact that Joshua Jackson took this role up because I think he captured the essence of like this man's downward spiral. Not to say that Jamie Dornan couldn't have done it, but I just, I didn't see that being sort of the reality of this show. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would have felt different. Yeah, yeah, like like Joshua Jackson has this natural, like he's my age and he has this baby face about him still. So th the fact that he is like, you know, Charlie from the Mighty Ducks and Pacey from Dawson's Creek, I liked this progression into the dark and the complex, the noir. So I felt it was a nice departure from like who he's played. Like Fringe was, was you know, in that realm. But I liked that this went further. Yeah, I think I had heard that about Jamie Dornan. Uh, but I hadn't put much thought into it because it didn't sound like it got too far with him. Or did it? Do you know? I don't know how far they got, but I know that initially he was the one that was selected. And then through something, they were filming this in winter months. So I don't know. Like, I mean, we're still in COVID uh, time. Yeah, so. yeah. It was, isn't it, wasn't it a timing thing where he wanted to be home and home isn't here it's overseas or, or something yeah like i think that. he's yeah i think he's from the british isles <laughs> britannia <laughs> if you will i like yeah i don't want to you know i don't want to you know say that he's british and then turn out he's welsh or you know they, right, they take right. they take umbrage to that so if i just say you know the uk i'm safe <laughs> well played brilliant as they might say Tra over there yes um grand all right so i was starting to to mention Something, but but what was bugging me about like the football years, um, mm. were we supposed to understand that he didn't know his left from his right or was learning disabled even? Because like at a certain point they say, oh no, he's brilliant. He can learn anything, but he couldn't figure out whether to run left, right, or into somebody. Despite having studied the playbooks for hours on end and mocking teammates for not having done the same work yes but then fail to execute so 
yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was intentionally laid out that there was definitely this departure from this 19-year-old or 18-year-old or however old he was supposed to be, not knowing his right from his left and that really being a thing. Uh, part of what made it a little hard to buy, but I, the, the whole time you're watching it, you're like, well, I mean, to some extent this all happened, or at least a version of it happened. He's got this dad who's a doctor, and he says, no, nope, I'm going to go to medical school now. And at no point previous to that does he present as somebody that's like medical school material. The way he like argues with the coach and all that, like, man, he just didn't come across like that. By that, I mean... Yeah. There was no smart, right? There was no, yeah, there was no smarts to back up the, the bravado. But then there's all this, all these people saying, saying that, no, no, he trained fine. And he, nope, that's him. Because that was the initial part with Dr. Henderson. It was like, is this maybe an imposter? Yes. And then, you know, they, they call this Dr. Scadden and I'm I'm like listening to the voice. I'm like, who's, I know that voice. Right. (laughs) And that's when we find out later it's Kelsey Grammer because he was his mentor and his business partner. So there were, there was whole co- lots of things that were problematic there. But initially the thought was like, there must be some like, you know, identity mix up because there's no way a surgeon trained at the University of Tennessee and went did a fellowship at Sam's Murphy would do this. So there was the very, it was very interesting hook to lure you in early. I felt that that was a nice ploy because i think that conversation happened like i feel like in episode one <laughs> right i feel like it was i think it was really early on that the the initial notion was there's an imposter like it's it, like to go that route there's something seriously wrong at the foundation there because we didn't have at this point like all of the the medical jargon we just knew that like alec goldman's um character robert henderson had to go in and fix the surgery and what he was finding was so egregious. And then the storytelling, we find out that it was not the implant wasn't placed correctly and he never actually removed the affected disc. Like he left the moldy product in <laughs> in the body that was supposed to come out. But you know, it's just this hook of this imposter. So like the medical jargon comes later, and then the way that it's laid out is very smart, the way that they laid it out and they explained it so that someone who doesn't have a working knowledge of the spine was able to follow along with this. I liked that as an early sort of like, wait, they don't think that that's the right doc. Like how, like, how do you get credit? Like how, like so many questions, like how do you get to that point? So that was a really interesting hook for me. I liked the way that the story sort of like played out around that. And then that's when they, that was their hook to start digging deeper. I also enjoyed the way that they gave the medical exposition without making it feel overly expository. So, the, mm-hmm. you know, they I mean, they needed you to understand why what he had done was wrong and they needed to sound like doctors saying it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I think they did a pretty good job of doing both things making us understand and not sounding like they're talking down Down to to anyone. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's a really fine line to walk because so often like been around operating rooms and no tons of operating room nurses and doctors and, and everybody. So it infuriates me to watch medical shows where like they're scrubbing and like they're washing their hands and they bring the soap down to their elbow and then they bring the soap back up. You know, because that's not how anyone who's scrubbing would ever wash their hands. They just wash down and then that's it. You never go back over. Oh, 
So there was a lot of things I was paying attention to here that they got pretty right. So that was part of it too, is like how they explained it and how they, um, they also minimized a lot of the, the graphic nature of the operations as well, which, you know, for a lot of people that is a turnoff. It is, but they leave enough because they need, I think they need to show you, they need to make you feel uncomfortable. They need to give you sort of this visceral reaction to seeing him operate, right? So when he's, Oh yeah, we got it. Yeah. When he, when he starts <laughs> cranking on someone's back with like pliers or the mallet, the mallet, like, yeah. Hammering into their spine. I'm like, oh my God, my back hurts just watching this. All that. They're not even like focusing on the wound or the opening or whatever the right word is at the time. They're just showing kind of these these large arm movements. And you, th- you think of like a, a, a surgeon, you, you think of, uh, of a perfectly still hand moving ever so slightly and carefully. Like, m- yeah, micro movements, right? <laughs> right? Not like I'm hammering a nail into a wall. Not right. And then also they, the, a lot of the, the, the visceral medical scenery is really told through the faces of the supporting cast, the, right. the nurses, yeah. the doctors, the, the other technicians in the room who are just horrified. They, you know, at one point they were like, we're on hour four, of what should be like a one hour surgery. Right. So you can already tell like things are going so far off the rails. And like, if everything is taking so much longer, the risk of everything just goes up risk of infection, risk of anesthesia complications. Right. So there's so many more things that go wrong, but they're showing you all of this through the looking at the clock, the, you know, the conversations, you know, like how much longer doctor and it'll be done when I'm done. You know, the, all of this, this snappy kind of uh, snippy attitudes that come out. So I thought that was really good in, in the fact that they didn't like hammer home. <laughs> I see what I did there, hammer home. Uh, um, <laughs> the grossness that could really come out of like a medical drama like this. I think it just makes it helps to make it more palatable for people who don't need to see the inner workings of someone's spinal canal. It's crazy when you read or even just scan over Christopher Dunch's uh, Wikipedia entry that the things that seem like they would have been too fantastic, you know, like crippling Jerry. That's real. The one little detail that they changed that made Wendy a little more sympathetic was that they eliminated one of their sons. Mm-hmm. They have two in real life. I saw that, yeah. But by having just one, it may, I guess it makes her seem a little less or maybe a little more with it. How about that? That's a little- <laughs> yeah <laughs> Better you know like you know, fool me once kind of thing basically <laughs> yeah the character of the pa kim morgan yeah the time jumping for her character was the most confusing because she comes in completely casual to, to get the job she treats wendy like shit and she's very show-offy and and she's a lot like the surgeons you know with like Mm -hmm. like her confidence and she even you know is down for for cheating on on wendy with chris but this is all kind of spread out over different segments of time and stuff and you start to get these other moments where she's doing the reaction shots like you're mentioning you know, right. she, she's overhearing Chris not sounding like he knows what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> right. And she starts like, you know, the, the longer stairs in the operating room and, you know, telling the patient, you know, do you sure you don't want to find a surgeon closer to home? But then it's also juxtaposed to her having this affair with him, knowing that he's got a pregnant 
girlfriend at home. Or meeting his parents. That whole scene confused the hell out of me. In the in the restaurant? Did they think that Kim was Wendy? Or had Chris told them Wendy was out of the picture but still, you know, with child? In the, yeah, in the picture. So, yeah, because I don't think that his Christian loving parents would have, you know, appreciated him kicking his pregnant girlfriend to the curb. Neither time did I watch it did I fully understand what the parents were getting at. Right. The parents were, in fact... I mean, they were rock steady in the in their portrayal. They were the same at the beginning as they were at the end, pretty much. So mm-hmm. there was nothing confusing there. It was more like, how did these well-meaning, intelligent people create this kid that that has like no sense of right and wrong and and, and boundaries and all that stuff, and no sense of right and left. <laughs> Uh, oh, I want to roll tonight. Yeah, that's true. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a that's a good point. How did those two make him? I've got my kids far enough along to know that yeah, the, you, there's quite a bit of stuff you got to do between when they come out and college age when we meet him and he starts doing his his jive talk about he's going to give up on football which all, which is all we'd seen and and then move into the uh, uh, med school. I wish I had seen something in the parents that, that let me know. Right. Like what was the impetus for the decision? You know, like it just, he shifted gears way too quickly there. Yeah. I mean, they, they kind of address it the very, very end. Yeah. When he's telling Chris, it's time to just shut up. And right. He, and he has that story about playing with the furniture and how there was just nothing he could do. He would just not stop playing with the furniture, regardless of anything right. he did or said. And I guess we're supposed to take from that. He was just so hard headed. And so relentless. Yeah. And it did. There wasn't enough of an explanation, like wouldn't stop playing with the furniture. Oh, OK. Like that doesn't then make a sociopath. You know, like the, the that's that's my one problem with the storytelling that it didn't go far enough to tell me why. Like, I, you know, I joked before, like, I love me a good origin story. But in this this framework of storytelling, I mean, this is mostly based on a true story. I'm sure things were glossed over for, you know, time's sake and, and entertainment's sake. But at the same time, this was an opportunity to kind of also dive into the why like how how did we arrive here to just to say that he wouldn't stop playing with the furniture is eh, it's kind of an out it's an easy out and it, it it just left me a little wanting more in that category on that topic and revisiting something that i started to mention in the first half and maybe this is by design but i guess it's just the nature of 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 a trial is that you you do get a verdict you may never get an admission right he knowingly harmed an elder, which in Texas, uh, seniors and and kids are, if you, if you do certain crimes to them, it automatically makes it a capital version of that. Good for you, Texas. Yeah, we get one or two things right. <laughs> so that's why the, that's why the uh, assistant DA went that direction. The burden of proof was lower and that the punishment was, was higher than, than mm-hmm. any of the other things that they might have been able to get him for. I was still left wondering, was it true? Was he knowingly, not even knowing, but, but like wanting to go in and hurt these people? Right. Or was it more along the lines of what the DA, the assistant DA opened the door for his attorney played by the wonderful Carrie Preston as uh, Robbie McClung. I really enjoyed her character on a lot of levels, but she took the the defense position that 
his training was inadequate and the, the ADA opened the door. Is it a matter of his training being inadequate or like, or is it he wantonly harmed these people? So there's, there's enough of a question mark to, you know, to leave that for the, the watcher, the viewer to, to make that decision. But at the same time, they do have a platform that they do have a, a storytelling ability as well that they could have explored that a little bit more. But maybe that's what this documentary that's coming up. Oh, <laughs> well, be. tell everybody about that. Peacock is launching on uh, they're launching a documentary about Christopher Dunch, about the, the real people. Jerry appears in the trailer for this documentary, the, his, his best friend that he paralyzed through surgery. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're diving into the behind the headlines about Dr. Death. So I don't believe that Christopher Dunch is part of this. I can't imagine that he would. I guess the companion guide to this uh, series. What's important about this, if if you're not keeping score at home on the number of doctors that actually go to jail for malpractice, is Dr. Dunch is one of the first ever in America to go to jail for crimes related to malpractice. Not that there's not... A certain amount of malpractice out there, it's addressed with other penalties and fees and things like that. That's what makes this significant. I mean, there's there's bad stuff elsewhere, I'm sure, but that's why this one's sort of on the map. And at the end, I'm still just wondering, did he know? I, it's like you want to just hang him over a cliff and be like, tell me, tell me, did you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> You know, the only other doctor that comes to mind that, that did time or was sent to jail was Dr. Kaborkian. You know, so it's it's not really, we're not comparing apples to apples right. because what he was doing was specific for people who were in the end stage of their life and he was assisting them to commit suicide. He was basically providing the vehicle. Whereas this doctor, Dr. Dunch, through his practice of trying to heal people, was committing these egregious acts. So it's it's really not the same thing. So the fact that they were able to get a conviction, it's pretty astounding. It, how do you prove intent? Like, this is what you and I have been going back and forth with. Like, is he really like this or is it his training or... But whatever the burden is, the prosecution rather, proved enough through the, you know, through the victim statements and, and the case that they laid out rather. There was something enough amiss that this guy needed to go to jail. And for me, I just find that remarkable. Yeah, I think it hinges around the idea that he knew that he didn't he knew know better. enough right. to do what he was doing, but he was doing it anyway. In that case, if, if you were taking any other kind of risk and it came out badly and bad enough that you go to court, the people would say, right? They would say, you knew you didn't know how to do this. You didn't know people got hurt. Now you go to jail. I think that that same standard is, is what was applied here. On his... Uh, Wikipedia page, you mentioned the training defense that does appear here. Dunch completed his residency having participated in fewer than 100 surgeries. Typically, neurosurgery residents participate in over 1,000 surgeries yeah. during residency. And he was suspected of being under the influence of cocaine while operating during his fourth year of residency. So the series touches on that at one point. This was one of those moments you'd asked me earlier where I was just like, Wait, I'm confused. What happened here? Kayla, she comes out of nowhere, it seems. The ADA, she meets with her in a, in a diner. So they're talking that she'd gone to med school with Chris oh, and yes, Jerry from yes, back then. Yes. So Jerry left this little nugget out for Michelle Sugar, the ADA, to, you know, basically said that, you know, Kayla didn't like the way that he was partying and stuff like that. And she put together, Michelle Sugar, the ADA, she put together that there was an anonymous 
call made about Dunch to the program that got him into this swept under the rug rehab. And then she put together that Kayla is now no longer the picture. It was probably the one to, to bring him down in that aspect. It was just so confusing. And on the second watch, it was like, oh, that's where you came from. Okay, got it. Because you just really had to like, you know, follow the, the, the breadcrumbs there. If you, if you weren't, you know, fully, you know, giving it your full attention, you might've missed that. But on the second watch, I was like, oh, okay, that's where you came from. I got you. But it was just the way that it was, it was plunked down. It's like, who are you? Kayla? Like, I haven't heard nothing about Kayla this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So th- that was one of those aspects. Like I knew I'd think of it. This is going to be, thanks to the time jumping, this is going to be somewhat more of an active watch. And that if you step out of the room, to, oh, please don't. You know, get something out of the dryer or something like that. You should pause. <laughs> yes, for sure. Because uh, you might miss something that comes back in a few episodes that, thanks to the time jumping, might have occurred, you know, much closer in time. But story-wise, they wanted to wait to reveal or whatever. Well, yeah, it was like to build tension, right? So like the hole in the scrubs, why is that significant? Well, we find out how he gets the hole in the scrubs. But it's significant because... It's about attention to detail. You know, you, you don't turn up to your professional. Like, even though you're wearing pajamas to work, you're still <laughs> a very highly educated individual and you have to command a certain level of respect. And having a hole by your ass does not really command that level of respect. One off is fine, but then the following day, he still had the same scrubs on. You do not wear the same set of scrubs more than once. Yeah. Like, that's that's rule number one. After So the a, I was taught the ABCs of being a surgeon is abused, belittled, and criticized. And the D is don't wear your scrubs the second day. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I didn't know that. <laughs> I told you, I know a lot of surgeons. <laughs> These are more like quibbles, I guess, with certain ways that things were told. But overall... I enjoyed it, and I plowed through the episodes. That's a good sign, I think. Uh, Well acted, pretty well put together. A little bloat, but overall worth your time. I agree. I really enjoyed the cast. I thought who they brought in to play each of these critical roles were very good at at what they did. You know, Molly Griggs was... uh, Wendy, I thought she was excellent. She was also in Prodigal Son. That's where I know her from. Um, Yeah, Fred Lehane is in Yellowstone. He's in the third season of Yellowstone. Uh, He plays the dad. Kelsey Grammer, Alec Baldwin, Christian Slate. Like, you're just like naming names here that are just like so compelling to watch. It's eight hours. I found myself wanting to stay up to watch the next episode. I was like, I got to get up in the morning. So there, (laughs) you know, there is a lot here. And the fact that it's a true story just makes it so much more devastating but at the same time you're just watching this and you're just like how did the system fail so badly i thought this was interesting to watch i think this would be you know something that would appeal to a broad spectrum of of watchers uh like you said i guess people who have a high distrust of the medical system would probably not enjoy this but if you like a thriller if you like a a good mystery it's not a whodunit but it's more of a how did we get here how did we get this far gone kind of a story i think this is something that's really enjoyable to watch well thanks for joining me on this love it or leave it sheila thanks for having me this was fun we'll have to team up again soon i think so this has been paul and sheila and we'll catch you next time on love it or leave it for pod clubhouse thanks a lot thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. 
rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.